Wishes for my future, baby mama. Hope your skin is black as midnight. I'll take you out there, honey. I can put you in the bins. I can balance out your chakras. Fornication is a sin. We can fuck our night regardless. So I found the art in heaven as I pray for new McLaren's. Pray the police don't come blow me down. Cause of my complexion, everybody think they know me now. Cause I'm chicken checking. Negro, you are not my homie. How dare you think it's different, boy? You tripping. Ass break and dip the cash game. I flip the stack. Yeah, yeah, stack. Alright, Hoppity, welcome to Fanatsu. I guess I'm looking that way. Or that way, yeah. Okay, sweet. Yeah, so um, I'm your host, Manny Cruz, as you know. Um, and I'm here today with Senator elect Clint Rigel. Um, I'm very, I'm humbled to be uh, speaking to you today. Oh, thank you. I'm humbled uh, to be here. Thanks. And I'm excited too because Thanks. you are a fellow uh, journalist. Yes. A former journalist, yeah. So I guess it probably never leaves you even, like even though you're not in that capacity anymore. Like, Yeah, I've been doing it for so long. So that close to 15 years, 14 years, somewhere around there, I got to go back and journalists aren't that good at math. I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. A lot of oh, journalists no. are good at math, but... Um, not, not me. That's for sure, yeah. <laughs> I just I need to sit down and figure out because I kind of had a point where I left for a little bit. That's what throws off my calculation. I left for a little bit, worked at the courts, and then went back to journalism. That's so that, right. Yeah. That kind of throws off my calculations. I gotta sit down and figure it out. Gotcha. I know. I forgot that you worked at the courts for a yeah. while. It was like eight months or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that must have been intense too. Yeah. 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 Hey, but before we get into the show, uh, I just want to <laughs> remind folks that uh, we are free. Uh, we were able to to bring you free content uh, largely because of our, our patrons and you can become a patron on patreon.com slash fanatsu um, for as little as a uh, dollar a month or if you're feeling extra generous you could sign up for one of our two top tiers and get access to all sorts of exclusive content uh, for as little as 10 bucks a month um, and that's like two four six eight ten that's like five americanos small uh, a month <laughs> So really, it's 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 minimal. The cost to you is minimal, and you get you get so much more in return. And of course, uh, we have a lovely team, and they've really helped to, to um, uh, expand the show and um, really drive the quality up. And we I'm, I'm thankful for them, and I'm thank you thankful for you guys, Cesar Smasi. And without further ado, uh, Mr. Clint Rogel. Um, so yeah, I actually prepared a list of uh, questions. Sure. <laughs> so, and again, like I mentioned, um, I'm excited to be talking to a fellow journalist in this space, right? Thanks. And so the first question that I had in mind was, I mean, you were a reporter for a very long time with PNC, mm-hmm. and I want to know, um, what was it um, that that took for you? Well, what, what did it take for you to make the leap into politics? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, and I get asked that a lot, um, rightfully so. Um, so... You know, I was a journalist for so long, and um, 
that I was noticing that the stories I was reporting as a rookie reporter, mm-hmm. a lot of them were the same stories I was reporting as a seasoned veteran yeah. reporter. It's just kind of like the same things over and over again. Mm-hmm. I keep seeing the governments and politicians making the same sort of mistakes over and over again. Um, I mean, it's like the same headlines. And we used to joke sometimes in the newsroom, we'd be like, hey, why don't we just pull up this old story from you know, five years ago, change yeah. the dates around, <laughs> and mm-hmm. change the names a little bit, you know? Yeah. And this is the same story, and we would even look it up sometimes, be like, look, this happened the same time of year mm-hmm. two years ago, or three years ago, or four years ago, whatever it was. And yeah. So a lot of the issues are, of course, you know, government finances, which is a big part. The hospital has been a mess forever, and it's just, it's like so repetitive. It's like, oh, the hospital's gonna lose accreditation. Oh, mm-hmm. yay, we got accreditation back. Oh, yeah. we lost it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or we might lose it. Oh, pay less paydays. We might have a pay less payday. Mm-hmm. Oh, the vendors are behind. I mean, the, the hospital's behind, or the GovGuan's behind and paying its vendors. They're sort of like the same stories over and over yeah. again. Um, decolonization that's been a story for a long time Mm -hmm. um i will admit though that i am happy that it seems like it's building a lot more steam in recent years um but i remember some years it was just like the commission on decolonization uh, during certain administrations just weren't doing much they weren't doing anything so it's been a story forever you know when will we have a plebiscite when will we actually have a vote Mm -hmm. for self-determination things of that nature so yeah, a lot of the stories seem to be repetitive, the same things over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just got kind of tired of um, watching it from the outside and not being able to do anything about it. Right. Because as a journalist, of course, you have to be as impartial and unbiased yeah. as possible. I mean, everyone has their biases, but we're not supposed to reflect that in, the in, reporting. Our, in our reporting. We're just supposed to mm-hmm. report. And we're not really supposed to meddle either or get involved in any yeah. of the things that are happening. We're just supposed to sort of be observers and report. Yeah. So I reached a point where I felt it was just too hard for me to do that anymore. I, I wanted to step in and I wanted to offer solutions and, mm-hmm. and make some change. Yeah, it is frustrating. I know I have direct experience with this, mm-hmm. as you can imagine. I mm-hmm. mean, like um, uh, in both, both, both jobs with The Post and with PDN, right? Mm-hmm. I was hired um, knowing uh, on the editor's uh, um, parts that I was involved with independent Guahan mm-hmm. and that was a concern that, that they brought up and um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know it just it, it frustrates me the idea that you can remain objective mm-hmm. while um, coming into contact with issues like uh, indigenous rights and, and land rights like how do you remain impartial about uh, something like bulldozing an ancestral village and I, right. I know you were part of you were there at the Magua protest yeah. you know like I don't know does, does that did mm-hmm. that frustrate you yeah, I mean, absolutely, because there's um, sometimes the because I've been accused of being like uh, someone was telling was telling someone once like oh he's like an activist journalist uh-huh. I'm like what is an activist journalist yeah. <laughs> I'm not protesting or anything I'm not doing activist stuff and they kind of like uh, and I'm also I've been accused of being uh, um, biased against the buildup and sort of pro. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, independence and all those kind of things, right? Yeah. And, and being anti-buildup and reporting. But I was very careful with my reporting to not um, show any bias, right? Yeah. So like you said, what they were perceiving as bias, 
was me reporting facts. Right, so right, right. I was like, how is that bias if I'm reporting? They bulldozed the thing and they mm. didn't tell anyone. Yeah. Fact. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not bias. Yeah. Fact. They moved Magua, that kind of story, right? Uh-huh. So I did similar stories to the Magua story in the past with different things. I mean, I reported a lot about Pocket and yeah. a lot of different issues. And I'm reporting facts. I'm reporting stuff where I'm saying this is in there. So you remember with the buildup, there's been like so many different iterations of the EIS and you know, you had the draft EIS, then you had the supplement, then the final EIS, and then they mm-hmm. did a supplemental, but actually there's a draft supplemental on this, yeah. you know what I mean? So there's so many different versions of it, but I remember like in the beginning versions, we would sort of comb through the documents and say, this and that, these are all negative impacts. Mm-hmm. And these are negative impacts that the military, the DOD was identifying themselves. Yeah. So by me reporting that, like I'm on, now am I buy it? No, I'm reporting facts. But people right. were like, oh, well, you're anti-buildup story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, it's yeah. not an anti-buildup story. I'm reporting facts. I'm not showing yeah. any bias in my reporting at all. I'm reporting straight facts that mm-hmm. this is what's happening and that there's people upset about it and that there's 10,000 plus comments mm-hmm. on it, you know, that to me that's not biased at all. We're, we're giving, we're doing a story about how there's 10,000 plus people that had issues with the buildup, so much so that they went and actually physically commented. Yeah. And you know, it's hard. If you ask any um, uh, senator, one of the hardest things to do is get people to come out to public hearings and actually yeah. comment on it. But the buildup drew over 10,000 comments, and that's huge. And I've been covering public hearings for years at the legislature. Yeah. And some hearings, no one shows up. Some right. hearings, there's just one dude that shows up, and he's not even there to talk about the bill. He's there to talk about something oh, else. Man. You know what I mean? So it's, for like 30 it, minutes. It, kinda, <laughs> it can be, yeah, it's funny. So I have seen it. It's, so that's why when 10,000 people came out to comment on the buildup, mm. for me as a journalist, I was like, that is huge. I've never yeah. seen this much interest in a topic, right? Mm-hmm. So reporting on it to me was and no way showing any kind of bias it was i was literally reporting about issues that hadn't been reported on angles yeah. that hadn't been reported on it's just they're quick to sort of spin it and paint you in a certain light as yeah. your bias i think reporting. i think if anyone's poised for like a political action i think it is it should be journalists, you mm-hmm. know, like we're, we're constantly in contact with these mm-hmm. issues. We're, we're talking about infrastructure. We're talking about the hospital. Um, we're talking about education. How can you not want to do something about those things? Right. Um, and, and our job is to look at it from an ob- objective viewpoint. So yeah. I think that already gets us in an even better position because mm-hmm. our job is our, to do our best to go in there and look at it objectively from all sides. So, yeah. you know, we interview the one side that says, this is why this thing is done this way or should be done this way. Mm-hmm. And then we interview the other side that says, no, it should not be done that way. And yeah. this is why. So in doing that, I think we get a broader picture yeah. of all the different um, aspects of whatever issue it is we're covering. Yeah. And so that can help paint a broader picture. We have a wider understanding of the mm-hmm. issue as a whole overall and not just one viewpoint and not just one biased viewpoint. So yeah. I think it puts us in the perfect position because that's what policymakers should be doing. That's what politicians should be doing mm-hmm. um, that's what the leaders should be doing they yeah. should be looking at the big picture and looking at all the different viewpoints involved because you got to take into account all the different stakeholders then sort of weighing it and making mm-hmm. a decision from there how was how that um, informed uh, your campaign congratulations thank you I'm excited that you won <laughs> I voted for you oh, thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thank you yeah. thanks but thanks. Um, yeah, how, how did that uh, inform your campaign man yeah um, I think to a great degree. And um, covering the news for all these, it, it helped me be able to have a lot of facts sort of at my disposal. Um, you know, when people ask me, well, why do you think we should do this? Mm-hmm. And I would just 
spit facts, you know, yeah. <laughs> because I'd been covering the news for so many years, I knew a lot of stuff because I'd learned these facts over the course of all these years. So like one example is a big part of my platform was uh, developing an agricultural industry on Guam. Yeah. And so when I would go speak on the campaign trail, you know, people like, why, why, why farming, why agriculture? And I would say, mm. well, we are importing 90% of our produce right yeah. now. And that to me is backwards. We should be growing 90% of our produce. I mean, go look around the world. What what nation, country, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, island, anything, yeah. imports 90% of their produce, you know? I think there's a lot of other, um, uh, what do you call it, territories of yeah. other places too, U.S. territories as well, they don't even import as much as we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we import a lot, even, you know, understandably, we're a territory, we're not a, an independent nation yeah. yet, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but granted, yes, that's true, but still, what other places import them? Hawaii's a state, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they're growing a lot more produce yeah. locally than we are. Yeah, it's not sustainable for sure, and it's, it's not good, um, you know, health-wise, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess, all right, I can't help myself but go into a little tangent, but um, sure. I understand that you train Muay Thai. Oh, yeah. I dabble in a little bit. I've seen <laughs> well, you at the gym a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. So, like, I don't know, talking about health and stuff, I mean, yeah, like... Yeah, I like martial arts and everything. Badass. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of martial arts, MMA, mm-hmm. um, just martial arts as a whole, so... Yeah, I started getting into training uh, Guam Muay Thai. It's yeah. a gym here near UOG. Yeah, it's just down the street in Manila. Mm-hmm. Kukev. Uh, Kukev, yeah. Started yeah. going there a few years back. Mm-hmm. I just sort of walked in one day. I, I'd heard about it, actually. I, I knew I'd met him around, and he said, come by anytime." Yeah. So I went in one day, and then I, re- I enjoyed it. I love it. I got yeah. my kid and my son involved. Try to get my daughter involved, but she doesn't want. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but my son's all into it, too, so mm-hmm. I... He goes there too, yeah. That's awesome. Although I haven't been there in a while since the campaign trail got too busy. So, oh, yeah. sorry, Crew Kev, if you're listening, I'll be back. <laughs> <through>. Sorry. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, I don't know. Do you listen to like the Joe Rogan podcast? I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of the, one of the I things... don't agree with a lot of his politics. Dude, me too. Yeah. <laughs> but I do like his podcast because he's got yeah. a lot of interesting stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and of course, especially when he's talking MMA stuff, he brings yeah. on all kinds of. But he just pulls on cool cool characters a lot of times, mm-hmm. especially if he's talking about sports or MMA or martial arts or yeah. um, health and fitness things. Mm-hmm. He brings in some interesting health and fitness people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, what really irks me, though, is, like, when he tries to engage in politics and he, yeah. he like, took a super, like, right-wing, like, hard right turn. Yeah. But one of the things that I do agree with him about is, um, you know, like, when you train in martial arts or anything that's, like, physically, uh, physically exhausting, like, it's sort of... Um, brings into focus uh, other aspects of your life mm-hmm. you know like if you're sparring at, mm-hmm. at Guam Muay Thai and like you're used to getting like punched in the head or something yeah. like all of a sudden um, maybe um, an argument with a, a fellow legislator yeah. doesn't seem so bad right That's I mean like right. yeah. does um does uh ha- since you've been practicing uh, martial arts I mean mm-hmm. uh, has that sort of like brought into focus uh, other aspects of your life yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe martial arts does that. I believe exercise does that. I'm uh, one of those believers of, you know, uh, body, mind, and spirit sort of uh-huh. being, you know, all have to work together, all have to be tuned, yeah. fine-tuned. So I do believe in uh, all those mm-hmm. things you get. You can't, uh, I believe um, exercise and developing the body, making the body healthier mm-hmm. ultimately helps the mind yeah. and the spirit as well. So That's and, something, oh, yeah. go on, please. So I guess you were saying like, um, 
how does it help like when I want to spar other yeah, yeah. members of the legislature? <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> or even like in your professional life? Well, like, there is. Well, there's a the, you know there's sparring like or martial arts whatever. Uh-huh. There's um there's a lot of tactics and strategies that you learn mm-hmm. in in martial arts right that can be applicable to life I think yeah. right so um, and can be applicable to. Uh, politics, for example, mm-hmm. and it's funny. I have a, I have a very interesting example of uh, someone making that analogy, and I use the analogy all the time when I'm talking with my buddies, right? Yeah. And we're talking analogies about politics and stuff. We we'll use like MMA analogies yeah. all the time. So here's an example, and it's funny. It's Carl Gutierrez actually used this example on the campaign trail. Mm-hmm. He was talking about another candidate. Um, I'll just I'll just come out and say it because he said it publicly. He was talking about Frank Ogan Jr. Mm-hmm. and sort of how Frank Ogan Jr. Um, you know. Carl Gutierrez was saying he was uh, disappointed with and upset or disagreed with Frank Ogan Jr. running the writing campaign. Yeah. And he was and he was saying, you know, that Frank was saying he's running the writing campaign because he's upset about some negative mm. um, campaign that was done against him in the primary. And he felt that's why he lost it. He felt it was yeah. unfair, underhanded. And Carl was using a fighting analogy. He goes, uh. he goes, if you've been in politics that long, you've got to learn how to defend yourself mm. from these attacks. you got to learn to parry it. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> parry? That's a boxing tip, you know? Yeah, Parry yeah. that punch or dodge it. And you mm. have to learn how to counter that. And yeah. I'm like, whoa, he's using like uh, MMA fighting. Don't sleep on Carl Gutierrez. Yeah, don't yeah. sleep on Carl Gutierrez. Maybe he trains. I don't know. Yeah, he'll but definitely he's using an analogy of uh-huh. You know, a martial arts or boxing analogy. It works both ways in MMA. So he's saying you got to parry that attack uh-huh. and counter it. You got to learn how yeah. to do that. And I was like, wow, that's cool. He's thinking in those terms. And yeah. those are sort of the same terms that I do think into a lot of times if you're talking about politics. Yeah, yeah that's badass, man. I mean, and this that that mindset, that that ideology, like of the warrior poet, yes, right? yeah. the warrior philosopher, like that's been going on since like for ages. Yeah. I mean, like if you think of like Sun Tzu's The Art of War, oh, yeah, you yeah. Know, know the enemy, know yourself, yes. and then that's how you you uh, you see the way to victory. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the idea of warfare as like deception and mm-hmm. um, and like fucking Musashi, you know, yeah, the Book yeah. of Five Rings and like people apply these oh, things. I've never read life. that. I've only seen some excerpts of it, but that's something I want mm-hmm. to read for sure. Yeah, yeah Musashi. That's the samurai, right? Yeah. The first like, started using two blades or something. Yeah, and so like dude, how like how picturesque or cinematic is, is this guy's life? Like he uh, he was a badass uh, fighter and then later on in his life he retreated to the mountains mm-hmm. and was like fuck all this and then, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, but he was still badass like yeah. beating, beating people with like a wooden sword and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I got to like, read that I've heard, I've seen I've read excerpts and some there's little stories about him here and there mm-hmm. but I haven't read that what is it called the book of five rings book of five rings yeah I gotta read that yeah man I've read Sun Tzu of course Art of War mm-hmm. yeah I'm sure I'm pretty sure like the, these mindsets exist mm-hmm. in uh, in both of our cultures right mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. so you're you're half Chukis is yes. It? yes okay so like I'm pretty sure like within our Pacific cultures like this sort of has to exist in its yes. own context right I do believe so um Definitely, and mm-hmm. you know, Chuki's uh, culture actually has its own indigenous martial art that mm-hmm. not a lot of people know about. It's actually called Puang or Guang, depending on how you pronounce it. And some Carolinians from they'll tell you the same thing too. The Carolinians like in Saipan and stuff, so mm-hmm. that are descended from like the outer islands of Chuk and Yap, right? Mm-hmm. There is a martial art from that region called Puang or Buang. You can look uh-huh. it up. You can probably find it online somewhere. There's a few excerpts, few articles about it. Mm-hmm. And so it's very interesting that it is definitely a part of the culture is this martial art. And the martial art included, it was also interwoven with navigation too. Yeah. So when I was reading about part of the martial art is not just how to like fight and stuff. It's literally like, mar- like 
different techniques and stuff for fighting. Yeah. Um, it's even like how to right size your canoe when it's capsized, things like that, uh-huh. you know? So it incorporates uh, navigation techniques and canoeing techniques. And yeah. I'm sure there's probably some techniques for how to fight on a canoe or yeah. canoe to canoe. You know? That's crazy, man. <laughs> and there's even some for fighting on the beach because I was reading one. Uh, it's it's amazing because, you know, Black Belt Magazine, if you uh-huh. heard, they actually did an article on it too. Come and on. I found it online. Yeah, they did an article on Pong and they went and found some guys and interviewed a few people that knew about it and so they were trying to break down some of the um, sort of moves that they learned from the guy that they found that they yeah. were able to talk to about it and one of them was something like a move that has to do with like um, basically uh, you end up stuffing a guy's head in the sand no or shit. he suffocates in the sand <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean but you think about it, you're fighting on a beach that's yeah. another form of you know mm-hmm. another thing you can utilize in that fight in the beach yeah. right as a way to environment yeah environment and stuff so it's that's pretty crazy man yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll look that up for sure damn man so I mean like uh God, I just lost my, yeah. my question. So you're talking about the warrior sort of culture and stuff, right? And warrior, warrior culture and like also like, you know, we we can't just beat the shit out of people. On, oh yes, yeah, on yeah. On the sand anymore. Yeah, and, like, stuff people's heads in the sand yeah. <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. But I mean, like, thinking about how those things sort of apply to like uh, contemporary life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't expect you to have an answer for that now. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, at contemporary life. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you can use it as analogies, right? You can verbally stuff someone's head in the sand <laughs> yeah <laughs> or yeah it's sort of mm-hmm. like what you know with Carl Gutierrez talking about you know he, he's talking about parrying the, the um, negative attacks he wasn't talking physically parrying. he's talking verbally being right. able to parry that verbally mm-hmm. and then counter it verbally you yeah. know so Weird. yeah I think yeah. a lot of those ta- those concepts can be used verbally mm-hmm. and like you know since we went off on that tangent I, I was just reminded that uh, one of the first uh um, how you, you first came into um, my uh, my con my consciousness or yeah. cognizance, right? Was uh, mm-hmm. you actually you did the documentary about um, mm-hmm. the migration uh, from Sulawesi, right? Into oh yeah, yeah. My, me and uh, Raf and Pinko worked on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. How um, did how did you uh, how did you come about that project? Uh, yeah, it was really interesting. So w- actually, what it was is we started first. Raf and I wanted to do a documentary on uh, Laddie Stones. Actually, that's what mm-hmm. we wanted to do a documentary on, and just sort of like a very basic. Because I was thinking, like, you know, I've, different people have different thoughts of what Laddie Stones are, you know, and mm-hmm. then it's got kind of lost. I felt like it just became a symbol, like, but what were they? Does anyone know? They just know, oh, Laddie Stones, you yeah. know. Um, you know, they, people get tattoos of Laddie Stones. They get sort of, you know, paintings, pictures, drawings, whatever, T-shirts that have Laddie yeah. Stones or stickers of Laddie Stones. But does anyone really know what they represented? Mm-hmm. Or has it just become a generic re- representation, yeah. <clears throat> right? Um so I was thinking, you know, let's do something that really also makes it, sort of breaks it down, makes it very basic and simple. This is what a Laddie Stone is, this is what it's comprised of. So if you, the documentary actually starts out just describing what a Laddie Stone is, the two parts of it, mm-hmm. the Haligi and the Tassa, right? And then how it's a stone, a pillar, stone pillar made of, of two separate parts. Mm-hmm. And then uh, through the process, we were talking to archaeologists. Um, they started telling us, oh, we, you know, some of the archaeologists that we respect started telling us, you should really take a look at this um, theory, right? Mm-hmm. Theory of um, migration from Indonesia, right? Yeah. And so some archaeologists have sort of um, uh, based that theory on on similar similar structures to the lattice stone in Indonesia. Yeah. And then that sort of coincides with some of the DNA evidence that has been collected from Dr. Miguel Villar. Right. 
uh, uh, showing a connection to Indonesia. Mm -hmm. So that's how we went down that route. Started first with like, let's just talk about Laddie stones and what is a Laddie stone and what was it probably used for? Because I've also heard different, you know, some people say, well, how do we know it was used, what it was used for? Yeah. If they're just stones used for whatever. So we also went and looked up the, um, the writings from Spanish accounts when uh -huh. the Sp Spaniards were first uh, colonizing Guam and what they wrote about Laddie stones and. Most of the stuff we found was basically Spaniards writing that their houses were built upon stone pillars. So we're like, mm -hmm. that's a Laddie stone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so a lot of different um, sections where they spoke about, you know, some these are some of the best houses we've seen in this region, or sorry, in, in the places we've been, because mm -hmm. they hadn't been throughout Micronesia. Guam was the first sort of island in the Pacific that they discovered. Yeah. Discovered, sorry, bad word, but you know what I mean? Yeah. That they stumbled across yeah, yeah. <laughs> while starving and lost. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's one of, the first, uh, one of the first places they stumbled into while starving and lost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, for sure. All scurvy ridden and whatnot. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Dang, man. That's cool. I mean, like, and I guess along those lines, too, I mean, um, you've obviously, you show an interest in an appreciation for Chamorro culture. Oh yes, and yeah. um, what, what's uh, what's heartbreaking, like, and I guess you know because I'm a reporter and I'm part of like the media, like, there's some responsibility that that I take for this as well. But like, it seems like there's um, there's a, a dichotomy, you know, between uh, other Micronesians uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. here and then uh, you know Chamorros, and I'm wondering like how much of that is like contrived, how much of that is like uh, is something that's fostered by by uh, negative press, mm -hmm. and how much of that, or like what can we do about that? You know, like creating solidarity. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. It's difficult, and I too, you know, being in the media too, you know, I did see it, and I kind of felt sometimes like, oh, are we just feeding into the, yeah. the stereotypes, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I did my best when I was reporting to not do yeah. that at all. And in fact, um, but you know, and I could see, and I know the way the media works, it's this um, sort of, uh, um, <laughs> I don't want to talk too bad about the media. Oh, no, no, you're good. But it is. It, this is an independent podcast. Sort of, so. I know, but I still have friends in the media and yeah. everything. And it's not, mm. it's, it, it is this sort of uh, animal that's uh, almost insatiable, right? Mm. So the media is constantly looking for, for, Stories mm -hmm. to you know satisfy its hunger for. <laughs> if it needs, it needs. That's the right? saying. So he just mentioned that's a saying yeah. in media that we say in all our newsrooms. If it bleeds, it leads. Now, yeah. how sort of you know horrible mm -hmm. does that sound, right? Yeah. That's not a great thing to say, but and it's, it's also sounds like you know like we don't care. Like oh, mm -hmm. did the guy die? No. Oh. It's, not a big story you know what I mean yeah. like and that would happen sometimes in a newsroom there'd be a, a car crash I'm like oh is there a fatality no and then you almost hear people like oh never mind I know. and it's like uh, well why are we reacting like that but yeah. we're just sort of it's hard you get sucked into the whole rat race and the whole chase of like we got to get the top story we got to get yeah. you know the breaking news and get it out there and social media has completely changed it too because when I first started reporting there was no social media yeah. actually when I, that's how old I am. <laughs> there was no social media when I first started reporting. Uh -huh. So it was a completely different ball game. And social media has changed. It's up to anywhere. Everything now is you got to get out there first. You got to be quick to get out there. And you got to look for these um, stories that trend on social media tend to be the ones that are very salacious. The very sensational stories yeah. trend on social media. People share them. You know, people share them. That's got the cool clickbait uh, headline. You know, yeah. then they share that, and then it just goes viral. 
And so the media is constantly chasing that story mm -hmm. that's going to go viral. It's going to get them as many clicks, as many likes as possible. And it tends to be the ones that are very sensational, right? Yeah. So then the same thing goes with if it's dealing with uh, other Micronesians that are uh, involved in a crime. They become sensational. Oh, well, you know, another, you know, uh, Chukis guy stabbed this other Chukis guy. And he did, you know, and so then uh, it becomes, you know, people click on it and they share it. So the media is chasing, looking for those same type of stories. Yeah. Too, and they might pay more attention to that story rather than another story mm -hmm. that could be even worse than what that one Chukis guy did. Even yeah. worse stories than that. But they know that that's what's generating the click. So there's a give and take, yes, uh, and it's like a vicious cycle. The media is feeding back into it, mm -hmm. but it's also society too's fault. Society yeah. is the one clicking it and sharing it as well, you know? So mm -hmm. people who are clicking and sharing it also um, are to blame as well and so it's yeah. a vicious cycle and then the media reinforces that and feeds into it too and so there is because you can't blame the media for all of you know sort of racism or racist ideas there is racism racism exists anywhere uh -huh. um, but I think now with the advent of social media and you're seeing it across the world now mm -hmm. it's given more avenues for racists and yeah. racism to spread because mm -hmm. now people can spread them in various websites or chat groups and things of that nature where they can share these ideas that they might not have been willing to share in public before but now when you're behind a computer screen or your cell phone yeah. and you have a fake account and it's not even your name or your picture on it you know yeah. um, you're willing to share those type of ideas that you might have and not what, shared before and then that can yeah. encourage other people like yeah he's right about that it Dude. is all their fault you know and what more when the the leader of the most powerful country in the world is a, a racist and yeah. misogynist and a, you know like that ju yeah. that just further justifies these these racist uh, ideo ideologies right? yeah absolutely so but and i mean it's, like it's making it worse yeah yeah man um it's emboldened that's what it does when a leader like that speaks rhetoric like that mm -hmm. it emboldens people who harbor those feelings so people yeah. might not have even people might even harbor certain feelings and then inside they're kind of thinking like well i kind of feel this way towards this mm -hmm. other race but i think it's wrong you know yeah. so maybe i'm wrong i should i should suppress those feelings and maybe i should get rid of them or deal with them somehow figure out why do i have those negative feelings but then when a leader comes out and starts saying those things it emboldens yeah. like you know maybe my feelings were right those people are bad people mm -hmm. see because this guy said it you know what i mean like both Bol bolsonaro in, in brazil like straight up like oh we're gonna kill indigenous people let's take their land blah 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 all these things wow. like just straight up yeah you know um but I mean, like, this is something that I've talked about at a couple of the conferences, you know, when we're talking about uh, media and representation, mm -hmm. like, what does the color of crime look like, you know, mm -hmm. and especially in a, in a Guam context, mm -hmm. like, what does that do to like the, the social psyche, mm -hmm. right? When every day you see, you see brown faces mm -hmm. um, attached to these stories of crime, you mm -hmm. see Chamorro names, you see a uh, Micronesian name or, and you know, I hate uh, separating the two because it's, we are Micronesian, yeah. right? but like, yeah, it, it, it continually feeds in, just like you said. I mean, like, it reinforces an idea that, uh, oh, the, these uh, no good Chamorros, no good uh, Micronesians, uh, these immigrants, you know, they're, they're no mm -hmm. good. All they do is get drunk. They get into like, car accidents and mm -hmm. fight and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's heartbreaking to see. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering, like, how do, we, how do we solve that? How do we break out of that cycle? Mm -hmm. um, it's going to take uh, time and effort. It's mm -hmm. going to take time and effort, yeah. So I have different ideas. I mean, one thing is... Um, uh, as a senator, I'm going to be um, pushing a lot of stories that share the positive side. You know, yeah. I hope to be a positive role model for um, immigrants, for people from the FAS. Mm -hmm. I definitely hope to be a positive role model and give uh, 
and and also share stories of positivity about uh, people from the FAS community as well mm -hmm. um, as much as I can and sort of get those stories out there um, getting involved with some of these uh, and there's more and more they're starting to form now uh, community organizations church groups within the mm -hmm. uh, FAS and Chukis community yeah and getting them more involved too so I've seen myself from the beginning when I decided to run as sort of a bridge between the communities and I think um, in the perfect position for that because um, I was born and raised on Guam. Um, when I was growing up, there were no very few Chukis yeah. on Guam. I grew up, you know, I went to like uh, Emiluhan Elementary School in Jotnia. So, mm -hmm. you know, Jotnia rules, I see, but <laughs> I was going there. And it was, uh, it was all Chamorro, right? All yeah. my classmates, all my friends were all Chamorro, right? And, mm -hmm. and I don't really like the word chod, but that is a word that people use, right? They're very, yeah. you know, it's actually not a good word at all, but... <laughs> but very tomorrow, yeah. yeah. But when I was growing up, yeah, the people I would hang out back then would definitely be called chods, yeah. you know what I mean? By other people would call them that. Yeah. But they're just very, um, uh, you know, tomorrow's with uh, very mm -hmm. steeped in the culture, I guess yeah. that's a better way of putting mm -hmm. it, right? But yeah, so Jotnia's, um was majority tomorrow mm -hmm. uh, when I was going to school there. And there was like maybe one Palawan kid. And like, yeah. and like I remember when I hit like fifth grade, there was like two other Chukis kids, but they were in the grades lower than me. And I was like, mm. oh, there's other Chukis kids here. Oh, yeah. wow, now there's, you know, because before it was literally just me. Yeah. <laughs> like, all Chamorros and like maybe a couple Filipinos here and there. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so I've definitely grown up in the culture and my friends Chamorro and, you know, uh, my wife's Chamorro. My mm -hmm. kids are um, very much identify as Chamorro. Yeah. My kids do. I, I constantly remind them that don't forget, you have Chuki's blood too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's funny because they forget. They're just so, you know, they're growing up so tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely, uh, I feel I'm in the right position where I can bring the communities together. Yeah. Because I think I, I do have a good understanding of Chamorro culture mm -hmm. and the Chamorro people. Yeah. And I'm sort of well, I'm very immersed in the culture and, and its people. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think I can bridge that gap between the Chamorro people and mm -hmm. um, and other Micronesians yeah. out there, and so part of that is uh, engaging with the Micronesian community, the other Micronesians. <laughs> I hate to see the word's been so yeah. messed up. So. Yeah, I know. Engaging. That's why FAS is a better word, actually. Uh, right? FAS, freely associated states. Okay. So engaging with people of the freely associated states who are immigrants here, and engaging with them in their communities and bringing them together with the Chamorro community showing mm -hmm. and the Filipino community as well yeah. and you know everyone mm -hmm. else on Guam and just bringing them together and showing what are all the similarities and yeah. focusing on what are the similarities first instead of what are the differences mm -hmm. so people are quick to focus on differences right away right, right. you see someone different automatically looking like oh look his clothes his shoes are different or whatever the way the way their hair is mm -hmm. different or whatever it is people have a tendency to look for the differences right away yeah. and I think that's built into our nature because we're always looking to be defensive and if you want to go back to like the tribal eras or you know of course you're trying to identify who's that other tribe are they an enemy yeah. or friend or foe right mm -hmm. so we're trying to determine if someone's a friend or foe so the first thing we do is we judge them by looking at yeah. how they look i mean they say don't judge a book by its co uh, cover but i think there is something built in us instinctively to judge books by their cover mm -hmm. now we have to get past that as we begin to evolve as a species yeah. and get past that and look beyond those things. Mm -hmm. But it, we also have to recognize that there is human nature involved and human nature is to look first at differences. So mm -hmm. we start addressing that and start encouraging each other to 
look to what are the similarities that we share yeah. and then that can help bridge gaps. Yeah, I think it, it helps too, like to, re, to reinstate the, the, the idea that um, our people, um, before there was an FAS, before there was a Micronesia or Marianas, like our people were lived, um, you know, in, in peaceful economic trade of sorts, you know, with each other as well. I mean, like, you can't help but to acknowledge the fact that, you know, because of our advanced uh, seafaring capabilities, mm-hmm. like, our people were, were in constant contact with each other, mm-hmm. you know, and this was long before colonialism um, it intruded into our lives. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's so, documented, there were sea lanes, sea routes, yeah. they also call them sea lanes, or between all the islands, and they know how to get to each other, they mm-hmm. know how to get to each other's islands. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. There was definite trade and, and interaction between all the islands in Micronesia. Mm-hmm. And like, um, I don't know, one of the things that that uh, I sort of carry with me is uh, Dr. Uh, Vince Diaz. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? Yeah. Yes, yes. He's, he's uh, part Pontepean, part Filipino. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how, I think he was here like two years ago, where he talks about how he feels... Um, uh, more uh, security in uh, a Pacific or a Chamoru idea of uh, of, uh, of welcoming uh, than he does uh, with like a Western notion of like immigration and uh, and you know Western constructs uh, for right. for migrants to to come to the island. Like mm-hmm. um, I don't know, maybe maybe you can uh, help me build out that idea of like. Um, ideas of reciprocity, of, of welcoming, mm-hmm. and what that actually means to Pacific peoples, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I think Pacific cultures, um, Micronesian cultures, Pacific cultures actually, do have that very welcoming idea, mm-hmm. the idea of, you know, come and eat. It's throughout the Pacific and Micronesia. Yeah. Sharing food. When your guests come over, you, you have to offer food. I know, for example, um, and it's the same in Chamorro culture and in Chukis mm-hmm. culture. If you ever have a guest come over to your house to visit, yeah. the first thing you do is you look for some kind of drink or food to offer. Yeah. If you don't have any, you apologize profusely. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry, I wasn't expecting <laughs> you. I don't have anything for you to eat, really, you know, and you scrounge for anything. You're crackers? Like, you, know, yeah. you look for anything to share. You want some water? I'm sorry, I don't have any soda or anything. I, I wasn't expecting any guests. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, because you're expected to offer yeah. to guests, even guests who are. Um, unexpected guests. Yeah. You're still expected to offer something to them when they're in your home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's throughout Micronesia. That's a big part of the welcoming aspect of the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And again, also like building on the idea of solidarity is um, like taking a step into, you know, issues of uh, or social issues, right? Uh, so if we're talking about like poverty or education or access to education, you know, uh, like uh, Chamorro issues and FAS issues are totally aligned. Like, uh, oh, yeah. um, you know, 80% of our high school, or of our, our GDOE students are high poverty. Mm-hmm. And also um, the majority of students are either um, FAS migrants or, mm-hmm. or Chamorro, you mm-hmm. know, we're the top two uh, uh, um, pop- demographics. Mm-hmm. In GDO in the GDOE school system, and so maybe when we're talking about um, we, in order for us to stop thinking about um, both issues as, as separate, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing how they how they're aligned, um, and I think I see that um, best with uh, issues of like class mm-hmm. and uh, and um, income. You know, and uh, I was talking to uh, Catherine Castro from the Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. over the weekend about, you know, what it would take from a business, the business community's perspective to increase a minimum wage. And mm. she said a lot. Um, 
while saying very little, <laughs> as you can imagine, you know. Yeah. So everything for them is always about like the bottom line. Of course, but yeah. They also come up against that wall where not only are they trying to make a bottom line for the business owner, but they're always trying to increase that bottom line mm -hmm. year after year. And that can only happen by cutting wages or keeping them like um, uh, mercilessly low. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I just wanted to get your perspective on that. Um, no. So yeah, both, minimum both, wage, minimum wage, and like both of our both of our peoples um, make up uh, um, lower socioeconomic classes mm -hmm. on the island. Mm -hmm. You know, the mm -hmm. majority of them. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, well. So there, it's it is a difficult issue because um, on one hand, yeah, raising the minimum wage. Right now, our cost of living is too high for what the wages are. Okay. So we do have to come up with yep. some solution, for sure. Mm. People aren't being paid enough money, and then groceries cost too much. The cost of living is too high. Yeah. So there's different arguments, right? So, you know, before I was very just staunchly, pro just raising minimum wage, raising minimum wage. Mm -hmm. But now I'm a little more careful with that thought because um, I did see businesses do this when they were forced to raise the minimum wage. They just switched everyone to part time, mm -hmm. and then so that way they were able to save money that way by not paying full time um, benefits. Because with full time, you have to give certain benefits right. and certain things like that. So they just changed everyone to part time and started juggling them around. Yeah. So for example, I've been meeting a lot lately. It's funny you bring this up because just last night I met another, um, sort of people that I know. They're FAS migrants that work in various places. So like. Uh, the gas station where I live, I live in uh, Talafofo in Ipan. Mm -hmm. The gas station, I go there, you know, there's a lady that works there and I see her there uh, all the time. I see her quite a lot there. Mm -hmm. And you know, and then she also works at, um, at uh, you know, Kmart. Yeah. And there's also a guy, a young guy that works at that same gas station. And then I saw him working at the Jotnya, there's a store in Jotnya that he's working at. So I'm like, you guys work at both these places? It's because they're part-time in both places. Yeah. So in order to get the hours they need, they work these crazy schedules where they're part-time here and then to fill in, they part this well. And so I'm wondering, why don't they just make them full-time? And they think when I've seen so many different employees at, at the, same, the same place, I'm like, yeah. they have quite a few employees there. You think maybe they could, but see then that's where they're kind of stuck. They either, um, I guess they have more employees and then just put them all on a part-time schedule so that they yeah. save money that way. As opposed mm -hmm. to a few, and then you know a few employees at a full-time schedule, well then now you, the argument is like, well now, some people don't have jobs, right. you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think ultimately the answer is yes, we, we can raise the minimum wage, but we should make sure that we're doing it in a climate where the economy is such that the businesses are able to afford raising the minimum mm -hmm. wage, that they're able to do it without having to lay off people, that they're yeah. able to do it without having to um, move people to part-time status. Yeah. Um, and I've heard a lot of small business owners do seem to struggle with the uh, minimum wage. I've spoken to some who said, yeah, don't raise the minimum wage, you know? And mm -hmm. these are even local business owners, you know? Yeah. And, and I don't think the ones I've spoken to, they didn't seem like they were greedy and just about like, oh, I need to make all this money, mm -hmm. or whatever. They're struggling small businesses. Yeah. They're like, if the minimum wage goes up by a dollar, it's really gonna affect my small business. Now, there are some ways around it. I know that they put like a cap on, uh, if you're this level of small business, then you don't, um, um, you can get some sort of tax break or something like that. I think that's one of the things they were doing. Yeah. So there's different, there are different mechanisms to look at. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, I think the, 
real answer is we need to create a real economy. We need to stimulate the economy. So right now our economy is just based off of two things that are very fickle, right? Tourism mm -hmm. and the military, yeah. right? Yeah. And tourism, military, we, and I've spoken to um, other economists about this, are yeah. two things that we don't really have any control over because the military spending, we don't control it. That's controlled in DC, right? Yeah. And then of course, there's a lot of people that don't want the military construction, especially when they're mm -hmm. uh, moving Magua out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Storing it for safekeeping. They're just storing it for safekeeping. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> said, right? Oh man, ouch, <laughs> so, yeah. So when they're storing ancient villages yeah. for safekeeping. <laughs> um. <laughs> Sorry, it just sounds ridiculous. I know, I know. <laughs> you think ah. about it, right? It just sounds ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so then there's the military, and then that, even if we wanted to control it, we want to say build up as much as we can build military mm -hmm. spending, we ultimately don't have control over it because we don't have anyone in Congress with a vote, and this is decided in Congress, these kind of things. Yeah. The other one is tourism. Tourism is, is we have some control over it and that we can try to entice as many tourists to go on spot, but ultimately it has a lot more to do with Asian economies. Mm-hmm how well their economy is doing. And we've seen it. Every time the Japan economy has, has uh, tanked or taken yeah. some sort of hit, we take well. a hit. Yeah. If anything, you know, when there was like different um, things that happened in Asia that caused their uh, economy to dip, our tourism dips. Mm -hmm. Also, when we're threatened by North Korea because uh, all the, what's his name? <laughs> Who? Cheeto face? Cheeto? Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because yeah. <laughs> he's making, you know, some war rhetoric yeah. and then they threaten us look we lost a bunch of tourists because of that right mm. so there's a lot of things that we can't control with uh, yeah. the tourism industry so it's very fickle mm -hmm. we're not actually manufacturing and making anything on Guam right. although we're claiming a gross domestic product or GDP mm -hmm. the numbers you're using to develop a GDP for us are tourism numbers only yeah. really they're saying that well those are dollars that are coming in that we wouldn't normally have so they're mm -hmm. considering that a domestic product I don't know how you yeah. use it it's a fancy Accounting trick, sort of, I guess. <laughs> and so you're, you're talking about like the 5.85 billion, right? That they just reported GDP. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So okay. GDP stands for yeah, gross, gross domestic, domestic product. product. Yeah. Well, we don't have any domestic product or mm -hmm. gross domestic so product. Tourism numbers. So tourism, tourists that come in, yeah. are technically that's a service, a service mm -hmm. industry. But I guess there's a way that you can consider that. Uh, so gross domestic product is is. Uh, I guess what they're saying is now it is a way to track just a country's revenue. growth, yeah. a country's growth and revenue, right? Uh -huh. But I mean, the term itself, gross domestic product, product. Yeah. signifies in its name itself a product that you're developing, manufacturing, and then exporting. So yeah. the original idea of the gross domestic product is to see what your exports are, yeah. right? How much are you exporting? Because mm -hmm. gross domestic product is any, I guess, domestic product that you're exporting out, right? It's the yeah. gross product, not the ones you're keeping in. That's originally how I understood what yeah. the term was supposed to mean. So it should be more like gross domestic service. Yeah, that's right. what it is. Yeah. That's pretty much what it you is. You heard it here, folks. Yeah, yeah. change the name. Gross GDS. domestic GDS. Because yeah. that's what it is, really. We're providing services to tourists that come in here, yeah. and they're paying. We're not manufacturing anything. We're not creating anything. Mm -hmm. So I think we do need to start creating and manufacturing things. Yeah. That's why I'm big on agriculture, because mm -hmm. that's something I think we actually can Manufacture because it's difficult to build manufacturing plants. I mean, let's start first with growing stuff, stuff yeah, that we yeah. can grow here, mm. and at least feeding ourselves first, right? Absolutely. And then that would also save money uh, on the because we won't be. Um, uh, there's different terms. 
We won't be sending money off island into their economies, right? Yeah. We'll be keeping that money on island in our economy that we're spending on imports. So mm -hmm. any dollar you spend on an item that's imported, you buy eggs from the store, that dollar, yes, some of it's going to the person who brought it in, the importer, yeah. but some of that money is going to the egg farm in California or wherever yeah. the eggs came from, right? So you're sending money off into someone else's economy that's circulating now in California and yeah. everywhere else. And that California business is then spending that money in California mm -hmm. and other things in that area and it's not spending it here. Yeah. Whereas if you bought it from a local farmer, that money is going to be spent here. Most of the money is going to be spent here and stay in the economy. Yeah. And that farmer is going to provide jobs, he's going to hire people, yeah. he or she's going to hire people. Those people are going to contribute back to the economy again. So it has a larger effect than mm -hmm. we realize, sort of like yeah. a trickle down effect that grows. Um, yeah, man. Well, one of the things that irks me too. I know we we do. You, are, we, are there any uh, uh, questions from the audience? If not, I'm gonna keep talking to this guy about the economy. <laughs> so. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's it's kind of a tangent. Well, Miguel, yeah. So Miguel uh, was asking. Um, he wanted to ask you about the Harau movie. Uh, the mm -hmm. Oh yeah. The assassination <laughs> of Harau. So that's from yeah. Doctor uh, uh, and then we also have. Um, uh, with Michael Manila Garcia, he says, um, so uh, he commented twice, he says, uh, there has been an increase in, of hate groups uh, out here in the States, communities, San Diego pages are, mm -hmm. are now full of politics, uh, politics posts, but have toxic comment feeds. Mm -hmm. uh, social media has definitely made an impact. And then, um, so that was your social media point earlier. And then um, just recently he said, unfortunately, the corporate businesses um, will be able to meet wage changes whereas small businesses won't be able to right mm -hmm. uh, uh, is gentrification a wrong issue oh yeah what do you mm, think? Gentrification, yeah. That's I have my own thoughts about that. But yeah, I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, whatever you want. You want to talk about gentrification? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it a whole lot on Guam. Maybe in some villages, maybe. Um, um, I know, like. People like um, Jason Okada, uh, mm. who's, you know, hope you're doing well out there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but he, he brought up the issue of like, um, in Inigua, they, yeah. they cleared that, that strip mall, right? Yeah. They cleared that strip mall where Purebed used to be. Yes. And um, I don't know what they're gonna do with that place, but I mean, that's like prime real estate, you know? Yeah. And, like these are places where, you know, there are like low income families that live around those areas. Oh yeah. Um, and if they develop that, uh, that might drive, uh, drive rent up and all that yeah I don't know but I don't know I guess it, in my in my experience like with reporting um, Airbnb you know yeah um, that's been an issue in multiple places like uh, even as close as like Hawaii right you have these you have these Airbnbs that people rent out and um, for for vacation rentals and whatnot and because of that it also drives up the um, well one it's robbing uh, the housing market of available homes for people who actually yeah. need them yeah and then um, the places where there are these Airbnbs um, it drives up the cost of living yeah you know so I think in that regard gentrification is an issue on Guam yeah that's yeah. that's a good point and then also those Airbnbs aren't paying the proper taxes and everything there's a huge problem with the yeah. Airbnb industry on Guam that I've done some stories about too, mm -hmm. and they're just really not able to track them properly. There's so many flying under the radar. Yeah. Someone just buys like a condo somewhere and then turns it to an Airbnb and there's yeah. no one to inspect and see like, are you paying all the taxes you should be paying for mm -hmm. an Airbnb? Yeah. The answer is no, they're not. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that's a whole other issue too, is they're just yeah. finding ways to sort of uh, circumvent the process or fly under the radar and everything. Yeah. And then, yeah, then that makes sense, it's raising. But here's actually what's raised, another thing that's raising the rent, and I'm sure you, you'll probably agree with me, you just probably are thinking of something. I know what you're gonna say, I want you to say the it. Military, <laughs> yes. military, yes. yes. Yeah, the military, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And the thing is, um, they said it would happen. Yeah. They said it in the SEIS, in the, sorry, in the very first version of the year, the draft EIS, mm-hmm. and then the final EIS, even the supplementals, everything. All the, so people who don't know, the EIS is the environmental impact statement mm-hmm. that the military had to do for the buildup. They said real estate would go up because of yeah. the buildup, because of uh, people building houses that they're looking at uh, building for people with higher incomes and because rent would go up. And actually I hear from a lot of friends all the time right now, I, I've heard from, I had a buddy tell me a while ago, like you should do, a, like a few years ago, he was like, you really should do a story about rent on my way. He, goes, he said that he would go around and, and he would talk to people on the phone inquiring about renting their property and they would ask him, some people would just straight out ask him, are you military or local? Yeah. And he'd say local, then they're like, click. Yeah, they don't yeah. even want to talk to him anymore. Those they guys were military- looking strictly for military yeah. dollars because they pay a lot for housing allowance. The minimum is $2,000. Right, so even- that's caused an increase and it will cause more of an increase to real estate as more military come in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely, the military is like what's gonna cause gentrification. Yeah. And they said it in their all their buildup uh, documents in the EIS. Mm-hmm. Man. Uh, so so I, I guess, you know, as, as a legislator, they I'm even hoping... said the cost of living would go up <laughs> yeah. and wages wouldn't. Mm-hmm. So shit, man. They told us all of this before mm-hmm. they did it. <laughs> and they're still doing it. And so, oh, man, I've, I've covered a few stories like from that perspective as well. And I guess, um, I don't know. I'm hoping that like people like you in office, and uh, also we have people like Sabina and Kelly Marsh, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Omega Hagat now. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this is the, the sort of uh, political environment where we can see uh, more regulation for like uh, real estate and for housing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, homelessness, like the point in time count. Um, there, there's thousands of people who who are homeless on mm-hmm. Guam, mm-hmm. and uh, that shouldn't happen. It was unheard of when I yeah. was growing up. When mm-hmm. I was growing up, there was very few homeless on Guam. Yeah. You could count them like on one hand, mm-hmm. two hands maybe, you know. Yeah. There's a handful of homeless, that's it. Now it's, there's so many, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. Yeah, man. Cool. Anything else? We're good. How much more time do we have? This is awesome. We're actually at <laughs> uh, 53 minutes. Oh, shit. Cool. Well, Sidus Masi, uh, I want to thank you for your time. Thank um, you. I hope uh, you'll be joining us uh, in the future, too. Anytime, let me know, yeah. Awesome, man. This is fun. Clint, thanks. Thanks, Manny. Thanks. Sidus Masi. Pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you. Don't forget, uh, patreon.com slash fanatsu. Uh, join our Hugo Tulu tiers. Get exclusive content. Yeah, special, and... um, special, what? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, we have, we have Kenyuta. Yeah, who drew these? Big shout out to Sumahi. Sumahi oh. drew these. Hey, let's go over Hatsa. That's cool. Oh yeah, Hatsa. So uh, yeah, for as little as a dollar a month, again, um, you help keep the show free. We're bringing you um, uh, critical content uh, outside of the university and into your social media feed. Uh, Hugo level, you get access to radical histories. Uh, these are stories that you don't hear 
in in your public school uh, Chamorro, Chamorro uh, language class, right? Um, these are things that a lot of people only come into contact with uh, when they get to the university. And um, if we're if we're trying to change the landscape, if we're trying to uh, change the island, um, re-education has to take place a lot sooner than the university level. And uh, to the level, of course, you get access to um, radical readings. Uh, this is a lot of the, the theory um, and other 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 texts that, that you come into contact with um, when you join a class like Magetta at UOG or um, James Vernis, who is now at UH. Um, uh, and these are you get you get um, in depth uh, breakdowns uh, of these texts, and those are provided to you in a Dropbox. And yeah, see you mossy. Thanks. They found it. Depth close to 3,230 feet. A deep dive. Clap your hands if you probably have a profile. You ain't gotta worry, don't be scary, cause we own now. Ain't no gentrifying us, we finna buy the hotel. Tell the world to sit the sucker deep, cause we own now.